Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Wild Word Podcast. This episode is all about the Carrot Tool Biodiversity Action Plan and special projects that Wild Work are involved in. I spoke with a few members of the Carrot Tool community about their involvement in their plan. First up, though, I met with Will from Wild Work on site in Carrot Tool. I'm doing some work today uh, looking for very interesting trees around Carrot Tool. At the moment, we're close to Barry's Court Castle. There's a lot of nice old oaks around here. And this is this work that I'm doing today is part of a signature tree project that we're doing with the Biodiversity Group in Caratool and also linked in with UCC. And we are looking to identify what are the special trees around Caratool. So that's perhaps ones that are very old, ones that are very beautiful, ones that might be historically or culturally important, or some tree that, you know, maybe the granny told them a story that the tree was uh, haunted or some sort of anything interesting about trees that's what a signature tree is it could be interesting from the nature perspective it might support a lot of wildlife or as I said it might be culturally historically important the tree might be just really old or it might be a type of species that you don't find very much around the place might be a rare native species or it could be some species of tree that might be exotic that perhaps was planted in a, uh, some years ago it might be the only one of its kind in Caratool so anything could make the tree significant, really. That depends on what person looking at it thinks themselves. Yeah, so it's tied in with the Caratool Biodiversity Action Plan. Uh, CCAD and the Wild Work Initiative, Port County Council, and a number of different bodies in Caratool were all working on this project in 2017 and put together a five-year biodiversity action plan for the Caratool area. And the plan, really, what it does is it sets out the story of wildlife, nature, biodiversity in the Caratool area. So anyone who reads that plan can discover what sort of special things there are in the Caratool area in terms of wildlife, be that birds or bees or trees or whatever. And then there are actions in there that are basic things that people could do to help biodiversity. Um, so ever since uh, locally, people in Caratool have been working to try and do some of those actions. But the signature trees thing is part of them. Um, but the thing I'd like to speak to you about today is actually to do with wildflowers. So, uh, round about this time last year, the local biodiversity group applied for some funding to do a wildflower meadow project. They wanted to sow a wildflower meadow in the community garden. Then they wanted to do some education sessions around that where people could come along and be taught about how to sow the wildflowers and how to look after them and why the wildflowers are important. And then there's going to be wildflower seed packets given out to the participants of those training courses. Now the thing was, because of COVID-19, basically pretty much none of that could, could actually happen. So we're hoping that the listeners of this podcast session will will learn a little bit about biodiversity and caricature, but also about wildflowers and why they're important. My next conversation was with Margaret Searson, who is a member of the Caritoole Tiny Towns and one of the driving forces behind the project. So, Margaret, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're welcome. So, I like to start off talking to people about their connection to nature, and I know you're very involved with nature. I'd love to hear, is that something from childhood, or is that something that you've come to recently? Well, I suppose it would have started in childhood. Both my grandmother and my mother were very involved gardeners. They loved the garden. Like, when we were kids now, we would have been 
eating broccoli and kale and these kind of fashionable things that my mother she used every winter she got i remember her getting the seeds the, the you know the catalogs with the seeds and she'd pick out the right. things she'd send away for them and they'd arrive or plants things would arrive in the post anyway and she'd plant them so she was very interested she loved flowers absolutely loved flowers so it's that started there and then when i was in college i was in college in the six the late 60s and the environmental issues were beginning to come to the fore so i was you know i really got involved then in the whole particularly the climate part of it and the sustainability of um, how we were behaving in the planet. Mm-hmm. And that continued on throughout my life. Through my, I, When I was working, I got involved in, with the green schools in my, with my work and uh, I tried to encourage this any way I could. I was told one day by a student that I was obsessed with the environment. <laughs> I said, if we don't mind it, where are we going to live? So I don't want to live on the moon. And also I went around to, after I retired, to the schools, encouraging them, shall we say, to um, become involved in the Green School programme. And all of the schools were very enthusiastic about the kids. Or they loved getting the green flags, both in the primary schools and secondary schools. And in the, I'm also involved with Winton Chira, and they run schools garden competition in conjunction with Cork County Council. As part of our support for that programme, I would have visited the schools locally and encouraged them. Also went around doing the judging and the work that the children have done with the teachers and their parents is absolutely amazing. Stunning work all over the county, right down to the Bear Peninsula, right across the county, the north, south, east and west. So um, it's really amazing and it's wonderful to see. And I also, when we were doing the Biodiversity Action Plan for Carithu, I visited the schools and I talked to, arranged for members of Wildworks to visit them and explain the project to, to them. And they were all very enthusiastic about it. And it's very, I mean, that's where the, I mean, that's the future. And mm. really the parents need to support this because it's really important and children just lap it up, they love it. And then when I retired, I was always involved with Tidy Towns, but I became more involved with Tidy Towns. I'm also very involved in the community and I'm a member of Carrie Community Council and have been uh, for the last almost 20 years. And um, one of our our, um, projects would be Tidy Towns. we're very involved in Tidy Towns and I joined the Tidy Towns group and at the end of the first year, Eileen, who is, I have to mention her because she is the glue that keeps the Tidy Towns together, mm. she asked me to help her with the application, which is quite long and complicated. And at that stage, I really looked at it properly and I saw this, there were two categories. Like most people, like most people, I thought, oh yeah, Tidy Towns. And I, even myself, even when I, was involved like there was a lot of litter picking and sweeping and the flowers and how the the appearance of the village and all of that and the painting and that was all very important but there were also two categories that i was interested in one was the sustainability and the other one was the biodiversity and the sustainability i was used to i had sort of 
that was so we I continued sort of encouraging that. But the biodiversity was as of itself, I said, how can we help? What can we do? And I think one of the things I feel about the whole environmental issue and issues of various kinds, that it's so big that we just all become overwhelmed and we just throw up our hands in horror and say, sorry, you either can't cope, you're too busy, which is a legitimate, you know, reason. I mean, life is busy. I'm only one person. What can I do? If I do all the right things, it won't make any difference. Well, I believe that everything everybody does makes a difference. And so I got involved then when they were drawing up a plan for the biodiversity action plan in Carrickthul. And now when it came to uh, this project that we're doing, the um, environment, you know, the wildlife project, I got involved with that. Will from Wildworks suggested that we we had planned before COVID intervened and scuppered all our plans to plant these, these seeds in a community garden, which we had planned and which we hope to have. Like it will happen, but it's delayed like everything else. So um, we're hoping that if we give out the plant, the seeds, that people will plant them in their gardens. They will be available from the community centre and we will put the information about that up on the um, the Tidy Towns Facebook page and also the Community Council's Facebook page. So anyone in Carrickthul can come and get a packet of wildflower seeds to plant in their garden? That's correct, yes, they can, yeah. So Margaret, you and I were actually having a bit of a chat beforehand and you mentioned that people sometimes become disappointed with wildflower meadows or what they think they've planted as wildflower meadows and that they might then mow it all down because it didn't turn out how they thought it would turn out. Yes, I think people, there's perception out there that it's that what they get is not what they're expecting. You know, they expect one, what you see on the front of some boxes of seeds with very colourful, huge array of flowers and all different colours and yeah. that this is what and they forget that you know old-fashioned meadow didn't have certainly not in Ireland had very little of that you might have daisies and vetches maybe but they're expecting something spectacular and that's not what they get and they think they've failed and then they abandon it so it would be good if we could clarify what they need to do or what are the ideal conditions that they might have So what we will do in the podcast description is add links that people can go to to find out a little bit more um, how to sow meadows, a little bit about them. Okay. so what exactly do you have to do? So there's a little bit of prep work in that um, the grass needs to be removed. If you're sowing into grass, your wildflowers are going to have a difficult time competing with grass. So removing grass, if you've got a little patch You can just remove the grass yourself with a shovel, just move the top layer or even put down something like cardboard and let the grass die down. And if you get the grass out of the way, your wildflowers are going to have a much better chance. The seeds are going to have a much better chance of germinating. Okay, so in other words, they won't have to compete with the grass, your seeds. So what else do people need to be aware of? So you raised a really good point about people tempering their expectations a bit about what will happen when they plant a wildflower patch or plant wildflowers in pots. What we've been exposed to, what we see on TV or on wildflower packet seeds are these really colourful meadows full of these beautiful flowers. 
And these are typically annual meadows made up of lots of annual flowers. And annual flowers are ones that live for a year. And they are the more colorful ones, like poppies. But in order to get that effect, what you need to do is pretty much dig up your meadow every year and then reseed it so that the annuals come up. If you were to leave your meadow, perennials, plants that live more than one year, are going to become the dominant flowers. Now, it's a lot of work to dig up a wildflower meadow every year. And the perennials, while they are less colorful than the annuals, they actually provide, on the whole, more nectar and more pollen for pollinators. So while you're, if you let your meadow mature, it's going to become less colorful, but it's also going to become better for biodiversity. What is likely to come up with, say, in your, what are you likely to see? So on the Wildwork website, we have put together a document on the various different species that are included in the wildflower mix. So if people would like to learn a little bit more or have a look at the types of flowers that may be coming up in their wildflower patches, I'll provide a link below in the podcast description to take them to that document. Talk to me about yellow rattle. Yeah, that is very important. Yes, so included in the seeds will be some yellow rattle seeds. And yellow rattle seeds is actually a fabulous little plant for meadows. It's also known as the meadow maker. So yellow rattle is a semi-parasite. It will parasite um, grasses. So the roots will actually creep into the roots of grasses and they steal nutrients. So if you've got it in the meadow, it'll keep the grasses down, allowing other flowers to grow. Okay, so that's obviously, I presume it's included in the pack. Yeah. Of, people sometimes say that they they feel that the, you know, their wild par- flower patch may look untidy or unkempt and people feel that others may remark on it or they feel that maybe they're being judged. How is the best way to deal with that? Yeah, no, that, that is a great point. So... It's quite simple to make the wildflower patch itself look like a defined little area just by keeping the lawn around it mowed. So if you have a little square or a little circle that you put your wildflowers in and then have shorter grass around it or a little path around it, or even if you had a bigger, if you were to say, turn your whole lawn into a wildflower patch, keeping just the edges cut down and mowing a path through, particularly maybe a windy path, takes what would otherwise maybe look like a wild bit of the garden into a feature. And there's some great examples out there. Yeah, because that can be a problem for people. And initially, anyway, that they, they're put off by this the idea. So then the, next, the other problem then that we have, or that people have mentioned, is the, like, when do they cut it? How do they cut it? Do they cut it? You know, the grass that they that does come up or that will come up. Yeah, so there's plenty of advice out there about cutting and when to cut, but keep it really simple. One cut a year is what you need to do. And there's probably two times of the year where the cut would be useful, in autumn and very early in the spring. If you decide you want to have your patch nice and clean and tidy for winter, then autumn would be the time you're looking to cut. But I feel that cutting early in spring might be a little bit better for nature and biodiversity, because if you leave that patch over winter, it's providing um, some seeds for birds. It's also providing a place where insects can hide out. Then cut it in early spring. 
But the most important part about cutting your, your little wildflower patch is that you remove all the cuttings. And that's really important because if you leave the cuttings to compost there on the wildflower patch, you're adding more nutrients into the soil. And as we've mentioned before, wildflowers have a hard time competing with grasses and grasses are much better at taking up nutrients. So the richer your soil is, the more the grass will grow and the less the wildflowers will have a chance to grow. Okay, very good. So that's, that's, uh, that's important. So the clearing away after you cut, you don't yeah. leave, allow it to lie. So the minimum amount of nutrients. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, I think, is it possible? I know people who have tried to do it and they haven't succeeded. And is it possible that the soil in their garden is too rich for the wildflowers? They don't need rich soil, so they don't. No, they don't need it. In fact, these are all the kinds of flowers that do better in poor soil where they don't have the competition from the grasses. Grasses do great in rich soil and a lot of our soils in our gardens probably are very rich. So it's going to take a little while to reduce. Now you can reduce that nutrients right away by stripping off the topsoil, but that's a lot of work. Just over the years, as you're cutting and removing and not adding anything to that soil, it's going to lose nutrients and the wildflowers are going to have a much better chance. Surviving. Okay, very good. And um, now sometimes two people say like, okay, they might ask you, why are we setting wildflowers and why do we need them? So, um, so you say, okay, the, you know, we want to encourage biodiversity, but they have issues. Then sometimes people have a problem, like what do you mean by biodiversity and how does the wildflower garden how will that help or the wildflower patch even so could you talk to me about that about um, yeah those so issues? this is the kind of habitat before we started to get into this much more intensive farming our fields were less nutrients there was less um, pesticides and wildflowers had a chance to grow in fields among our crops but now the farming is much more intense. So we've really lost a lot of that habitat where all these wildflowers have a chance to grow. So we are creating these little habitats in our garden. And that's what the project that you're doing with handing out these wild seeds is doing, is allowing for these wildflowers to have a chance to grow again. Because in the fields now, there really aren't. And those wildflowers are really important then for our pollinators. There's a lot of particularly the smaller bees, solitary bees and our rarer bumblebees that really require these this range of wildflowers throughout the year. And by doing that, providing wildflowers, you're providing food for pollinators as well. Okay, so you're helping biodiversity and you're helping the pollinators. So, and that's interesting too about the, um, you know, the advances in farming, that that's what has caused the, the loss of biodiversity uh, generally, isn't it? There's less and less space for things like wildflowers and birds and pollinators. So with the wildflower seeds, you certainly don't have to do everything that we were saying in that you don't have to prepare the soil or cut out a piece of your lawn. You know, planting just into pots is also fine. If you just want to have a few pots of wildflowers, that's a really easy way to do them as well. The other thing that you can do is cut your lawn less often cut down on some work let the particularly dandelions let them flower for a little bit let the clover come up and flower for a little bit during the summer and 
if you keep, again, if you keep the corners and if you keep sort of the edges trimmed and just allow the grass to grow a little bit higher, reduce your work, let the flowers in it grow. That's a really easy way to increase wildflowers in your garden with really less work. Okay, so it's a win-win situation. I you think win so. and nature wins. <laughs> <laughs> no more backbreaking, having to cut the grass. Uh, yeah, okay. but again, it is at that so, point you no. raised about your neighbours. They might be saying, well, I, I know people who have done it. And the neighbour has said, um, is there something wrong with the lawnmower? Would you like me come over and cut the grass? But then it's a good chance to maybe strike up that conversation and say, well, actually, I'm just letting them grow for the wildflowers. And as soon as it gets a little bit too untidy, we'll be cutting it again. But we're going to leave those wildflowers for the bumblebees and bees just for yeah. a few a week or two. Particularly if, if there isn't a lot of growth, often the, when the dandelions come up, there's nothing else for the bees. Now, I'd also like to talk about not using pesticides too much. So if anyone out there is researching a bit on meadows, you will see there's quite a few sites out there that will recommend pesticides in getting the soil ready and getting your area ready. That's a really quick and easy way to get the soil ready. That That's really not something, that's not where we want to go. Because once you start using pesticides, it'll spread to other areas as well. You know, even just wind and drift will take it to other areas. It gets into the water. So it's something that when you're preparing your wildfire patch, you know, you're only going to be preparing a small area. So we really think that we should just stay away from pesticides altogether. Just to not use them at all. Yeah. Uh, and you're saving yourself as well because you're breathing in even if you have masks on. Somebody told me that some of them have been found 20 kilometres away from where they were being sprayed. So, uh, And I really think there is nothing uglier than a stretch of land that's been sprayed with pesticides and it's all dead. Those lovely, beautiful yellow uh, dandelions is a much more pleasant sight than to see the dead, decaying vegetation. Okay, yeah, definitely. And even along the hedgerows and stuff too, you know, along the edges of the roads. It used to be a great place for primroses and they're all, they've all almost all disappeared because we're obsessed with tidying it up yes. and making it neat and tidy. I'm afraid nature is not neat and tidy. Hopefully we'll start to change people's mind about what looks beautiful and what looks acceptable. And I think, you know, the, the tiny towns are now doing that. I think they're starting to change people's minds about pesticides and keeping oh, things yeah. neat and tidy. Absolutely. They, they they actually tell you not to use them. And they the what you mentioned there about the burnt edges, you know, people often do it uh, where there's strips of grass and they they burn it off. Well, they don't burn it off. They actually spray it. And then it's all, as you say, yellow and burnt. And they that's a huge no-no for tidy towns. What I would love to see is that when we have given out the plants and for the next stage that we would look at encouraging uh, estates, I mean, they often have large green areas and that would be an ideal place, I think, where, you know, leave the edges uncut and cut the centre where the children play and whatever. And they'd love the long grass anyway. They'd, they'd enjoy hiding in it, possibly. So, like, it could be a project that, a group of people could do it together and it would be very I think beneficial to the environment absolutely could I think do that is a fabulous idea and then your idea of having a sign up to let people know what's happening I think when people know that this is an area for wildlife and it is for wildlife then they're much more accepting then they they start to see it 
as an area for wildlife rather than unkept. Yeah, yeah. And I think also that doing it in common areas would be good in the sense that it's, you know, teaching by showing, like that you you do it and then people say, oh, why are you doing that? And you can explain that it's a way of people can learn how they could do this themselves in their, their back gardens or even in other areas that they're involved in because there are a lot of people involved with sports clubs who may have little areas that they could devote to wildflowers as well. So um, I would love to see it in, you know, generally in the in the village. That would be it would be great uh, if we could see. And in, yeah, you know, I, I like your thinking. Yeah. So th- th- because like if you have it in your back garden, nobody sees it except yourself. And I know that it does help nature. But this way it's out there and everybody can see it and everybody can enjoy it or even ask questions or talk about it. Even if it's just a talking point would be great. You know, make people more aware because an awful lot of the things that we all do is because we just don't know. And we, we think we're doing the best and we, we often do the wrong thing for the right reason. So I think it's important. Education is really important. So I think that might be what we'd be looking at in part two. Yeah, and hopefully with you handing out these seeds, people will have tried this in their garden and they'll be talking to other people and they'll tell it to people who do work in on sports pitches or uh, in bigger estates. So the word will definitely spread, like the seeds. Well, that would be great. If you were to ask me what I would like people to do, I would ask them to start at home in their own little patch, but even if it's only the size of a handkerchief, even if it is no patch and you just have hanging baskets, window boxes, uh, you know, planters outside the front door to plant things that attract the bees and the butterflies and in that way to keep the diversity of nature and then to find out, to educate yourself on the things that you can do. I also caught up with Alan O'Connor, Caratool native, local Green Party councillor and, not least, wildlife enthusiast. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very glad to be here. So I'd love to ask, particularly as someone who is a member of the Green Party, about your connection with nature. I think I'm very fortunate where I live to be living near somewhere which has for pretty much my whole life been relatively wild. I'm just just next to the railway tracks here and they themselves until 2008 had been left grow wild and it had become a little mini woodland and either side of that there's a a wetland which I would often be exploring when I was young and seeing snipe and herons and all these different animals and having little wild places where I knew that nobody else would be and I really loved that and I was really fortunate to, to live in a, in a place like that I think which really encouraged and helped my, my own love of nature to have that on my doorstep and then subsequently I went on in college to to study environmental science and zoology and I've just been interested in in wildlife and natural history ever since and prior to being elected as a councillor I worked in the Natural History Museum in Dublin as well so yeah it's both it has been both my own personal interest at all times and my professional interest fortunately enough. That is something that is so important is to allow kids to have the chance to explore nature close to where they live and on their own terms. I don't think you can, you create wonderful naturalists that way. Definitely, definitely. And there's a lot of talk about um, 
you know, biodiversity at the moment. It's the buzzword to do with nature and protecting nature and caring for nature. And it's great that it is getting more attention, but I think we have to, um, you know, there's another word I like, which is bioabundance, which means not only having a diversity of living things, but having a lot of living things. And I'd love to, to think that in 10, 20, 30 years in Ireland and, you know, in Cork, Caritool and places like that, there'll be places nearby for everyone, which are wild all over the country that they can visit. So it's not just, you know, large national parks all over the country, but lots of little places as well, because I think it's the places that people know personally, as well as Killarney National Park and, you know, um, Harpers Island Wetland Reserve, as, as wonderful as they are, that really inspire people and which really bring the benefit of nature to people's doorsteps. Well said. And I think the biodiversity action plans that are focused on towns are a big part in bringing that wildlife into where people live. So can you tell us a little bit how you got involved with this project? Well, I got involved with the Carry Tool Biodiversity Action Plan. Um, in 2017, I got a phone call from, I think it was Finbar, who was involved with the project at the time. He had been told by another resident that I was particularly interested in natural history. So he gave me a call on the phone. We had a quick discussion and he asked me to contribute um, a submission as part of the public consultation um, leading to a compilation of the plan. So that's how I initially got involved with Wildworks in general, um, with that kind of formal investigation of Caritool's biodiversity and subsequently to all the other little projects that have been going on ever since then. And one of them is the Wildflower Project. And tell us a little bit about wildflowers. Do you think that is a good way of bringing wildlife into where people live, particularly their, their gardens and their green spaces? I think so, absolutely. Um, you know, many people are very fortunate in Caritool and elsewhere to have a little piece of the earth to call their own, a little bit of green space. And they often work hard to cultivate it and put in, you know, shrubberies and flowers. And their goal often is to cultivate beautiful, colorful, large flowers. But the thing is, is that in the grass and in the lawns that many people have already are these beautiful wildflowers that um, they're a little more subtle usually, the native wildflower, but they can be equally beautiful as well. Like you're thinking even something as simple as a buttercup or a dandelion or a daisy. If you look at it closely, you know, I mean, or with new eyes, you can see just how attractive they are and our native plants will attract native wildlife as well or are more likely to attract native wildlife. So I think because they're there, they're close to home, they're more classically, aesthetically beautiful, they're just a wonderful way of introducing people to wildlife, getting, getting that wildlife interaction, that interaction with nature on your doorstep. And yeah, wild, wildflowers is definitely a really good starting point for for cultivating a love of nature and there's another mm -hmm. project that that you're involved with within the project another mini project as you mentioned um something called signature trees do you want to tell us a little bit about that something else which which i really like as well myself in nature are 
large trees. They're just, you know, a great thing about nature is that it takes you out of yourself. When you're in nature, you're watching the birds going back and forth. You're looking at the insects going about their business. The ants are always busy, you know, the flowers and the trees and everything like that. It's a very still world and it takes you out of your own mind and your own thoughts. And for a minute, you forget maybe your problems and the things that are going on in your life. And you think about nature. And with trees, they're so long lived, like an oak tree can live up to 900 years, which is incredible, almost a thousand years. There are trees in Ireland now, which were around in Norman times. You know, it's mad to think. They take you into deep time, as well as taking you into the moment. And trees are just, they're such a long-term feature of our landscape. You know, you're your parents, your grandparents would have known maybe the same trees that you're looking at right now. So in that sense, I think it's a great project to have a look at what trees do we have in Karatu, trees that have been, maybe not just because they've been around for a very long time, but maybe because they're just, you know, beautiful trees as well, aesthetic, aesthetically beautiful in their own right, or maybe they're particularly good for wildlife and seeing if we can get people to look at the trees that are on the, the roadsides or elsewhere and, and see if we can compile a list and identify these trees and maybe allow people to, to enjoy them and look at them and find them in character for themselves. I love that. That's that notion of trees connecting us to deep time as well as the present. That's beautiful. I'll, I'll be um, borrowing that um, for, for talks and explanations about trees. Oh, thanks. Is there anything else that you would like to tell people about the Biodiversity Action Plan? Well, I'd encourage people very much to go and find and Google the Carry Tool Biodiversity Action Plan online and have a look at it and have a look at what we've identified as places of biodiversity interest in Carry Tool, as well as actions we'd like to take. But I'd also just like to reinforce to people, I suppose, that action on nature can start in the home. And I'd encourage people to look at their gardens and look at their immediate environment and see how they can cultivate nature within their own immediate environment. And, you know, if you have a housing estate and if you're involved in the management of the shared green spaces as well, maybe try to encourage people to cultivate that for nature as well. Let, let the grass grow in parts of it, you know, let, um, let the wildflowers come up um, let the nettles be, because nettles can be a great source of food for butterflies and um, in particular, but, but other animals as well. Um, you know, there's, there's an area of Great Britain, at least I know, under gardens, which is the size of Kent. So if we all did a little bit in our gardens here in Carrigtool in Ireland, that could really add up for a, for a huge win for nature, because a garden isn't just a place where people go it is that of course but it's also a habitat for wild animals and you can cultivate wild animals just as well as you can cultivate plants so i'd encourage people to look at the spaces on their own doorstep and how they can manage them better for nature as well the carrick tool community garden is a project that has been a long time in the making i was fortunate enough to catch up with vanessa rio who has spent seven years making this project a reality. 
I was the one who emailed the OPW the first time seven years ago. <laughs> the, um, so yeah, I'm just the promoter of the project. I laid out the project for the land that we're gonna get hopefully very very soon. Um, and that's it. I was the public relations officer for the community counseling tool for uh, about two years. But then I gave up my, my responsibility there. For the community garden, I'm just, uh, you know, the idea behind it, it's mine. And the project I, I've done myself. Um, then we improved it with the input of the residents nearby. But right. it was very little twitching to do. And you've, you've finally gotten go-ahead to actually use Basically, the land. Okay, basically now we are in the final stages of signing the agreement with the OPW, which is something that the community council will do. And the community garden will go under the umbrella of Tidy Towns Caritool. So as to receive grants, you know, they are better equipped to receive grants and apply and all of these bureaucratic uh, things that come with something that it's for the community because they are obviously tidy towns and they know what they're doing <laughs> not me <laughs> do you have a background then in gardening and growing no, vegetables no, but I, I, no 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 but i come from the countryside in italy so i've always been in the countryside i live my life with my parents you know in in the countryside and they always had animals and the land so i know a lot about growing uh, food um and you know these kind of things but um the the other only qualification would be my only my own uh, backyard which is um, put to full production <laughs> i have strawberries and a fig tree and oh, all kinds of uh, plants <laughs> um so yeah that's that's my only qualification so, uh, an interest in improving the community because i saw in type tool the last green space on the main road was exactly um, this land. Okay, so there's no other green left on the main street in Kaitul. Um, when I saw that and I realized it's opposite the school and uh, surrounded by residential areas and it's already fenced, so I thought why not establish a nice safe space for anyone to go in nine to five uh, at any time without any commitments to just go and spend time taking care of plants. They might be flowers, which are good for the pollinators, or they might be uh, food, food uh, produce plants. But whatever it is, you know, the whole idea is just to allow access to anyone or to a small bit of land that can be taken care of in the safety setting of the community garden. Yeah, that's that's fabulous. And um, yeah, seven well, years, seven years in the making, though. Seven years, I think. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, you know, and I thought, oh my god, it must have been five years since I sent that email to the OPW for the first time. And then I realized, no, no, five years ago. I already wasn't working in Apple anymore, and I've sent that email far, far before, so it must be seven years. So they've agreed recently to give us a two-year tenancy that can be renewed until somebody needs the land. 
you basically saw a need in the community, found yes. saw a place that could fulfill that need, and fought for seven yes. years to get it. Yes, uh, yes, and a lot of uh, not frustration, but a lot of banging to closed doors. Uh, what happened basically is that when I went, um, when I was elected in the community council in Kartul by my neighbors to represent my estate, I finally got uh, involved, you know, with the community council and they made it so that we could ask officially the OPW for the land. The last push I think was given uh, in the past uh, three years, let's say. Yeah. Right. It took right. a while, but let's say it's okay, you know, it could have been there a long time ago. So it, it takes a long time. The bureaucracy is not easy to deal with, uh, which is normal. But again, I find um, I find that a lot of unused land would be put to such good use, such good use if people came together, you know, and said, okay, we have a need for a place that allows anybody of any age to even go and sit by a flower bed, even if they don't own a flower bed at home, or if they don't have even a pot in the house with some something green, they are allowed and they should be allowed to to have the chance to, to sit by something that is alive. And obviously, when it's a garden and it produces food, people's interest grows because you're providing for your own family, a small bit, you know, but it's it's symbolic of what somebody can do in, in their spare time, <clears throat> if they want. So all the work from uh, uh, tidy towns and all the, the community council, I think it will be uh, put to great use once we are allowed to access the land with the new gate, <laughs> hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that is amazing. It really is a story of of tenacity, of of wanting to give back to your community, but also knowing how to organize. Um, I think you've probably learned a lot from it. Oh yeah, there was a lot of learning, and of course, I am I am not a very patient person <laughs> myself. Um, you're over in Italy now. Are you going to be back to to see it started? Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, if we can start by the summer, I will see it open. Fantastic. <laughs> but the project is there, so... And then it's up to the people who will take care of it to decide exactly what to do. What I want... Well, what I asked for is that the beds are raised so that even somebody who can't bend can reach. You know, just to put their hands in the soil is nice if you don't have any chance to do it otherwise. Um, so the raised beds, they should be at about a meter high so that everybody can reach, especially, uh, for example, children with the mobility difficulties or older people. You know, it's nice to have somewhere to go and do something or just exchange a word with someone else about something that is not the weather. You know, something in common for people to talk about when they are there. It's, I think it's really, really nice. So the garden would be um, a center for congregation of just forces and energy, positive energy for everybody. And also what I saw in Ireland, because coming from Italy, we live very differently, right? But what I saw in Ireland is 
the lack of uh, intergenerational uh, mixing. So the life is very uh, sections. You have something to do for the old people, something to do for the adults, something to do for the children. Usually the teenagers are left out because they are in that age where you can't do anything. They cannot go to the pub and they cannot go to the playground. So there's this in between that it's it's a difficult time for everyone. And we have all gone through it, so we know what it is like. And then the the positive thing is that Carrick Tour got a basketball court for kids, for older kids. So they have at least a place to go, play some sport and spend time together. But again, that's still just aimed at a certain age group. So the garden becomes a center for connecting all young, small, big, strong, weak, because everybody has something to bring, in my opinion. Doesn't matter if you can't bend. The flower bed is there, it's gonna be raised, you don't need to. You can bring your own little folding chair and sit by. <laughs> um, so then we imagined as well, a little paths in between so that um, again, people with reduced mobility can reach and hopefully the schools will take advantage of it because the schools are all very close to the to this land that we want. The schools in Karitul have amazing gardens, amazing. So I'm sure they have plenty of uh, ideas and resources, especially on upcycling, recycling, uh, building with very little money. Uh, this kind of uh, expertise we need. <laughs> that sounds really good. I'm, jeez, I'm, I'm quite excited about it now. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be real soon. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to to be listened to when the community says we need something. We need a place to be together with a meaning, with purpose. I wish the communities were listened to because it shouldn't be so hard to find land in Ireland, which is so scarcely populated. <laughs> there is land everywhere, especially, you know, in these satellite uh, towns around bigger cities. There, are la there is land available everywhere and you see it derelict without any care. And that could be a fruit garden or it could be a, a butterfly garden or there could be, I don't know, the biodiversity patch where you just let it grow, but in a meaningful way. So I wish the communities were listened to more than given money, because money, yes, money is important, but mostly is being listened to when the community says we need something. I had such a wonderful time talking to these remarkable people who are helping nature and their community. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Wild Work podcast. Please do look in the podcast description for links to all the documents that we talked about during the podcast, including the Carrick Tool Biodiversity Action Plan 